Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood, sports, and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, pop culture enthusiast. And I've got to do a shout out, Paul. A buddy of mine listens to the show, my buddy Felipe. And last week when we were talking about Rage Against the Machine, he messaged me and was like, yo, I heard the pod. You're looking for two Rage tickets. My friend is selling them for MSG. And I was like, oh, you listen to the show? He's like, yeah, I listened to it. And so literally within an hour, he texts his friend. And now you and I, next Thursday, Madison Square Garden, Zach De La Rocha, Tom Morello, we're going to go see Rage Against the Machine. Oh, my God. I'm excited. Never been to a, that, our first concert together. Our first concert together. And actually, it's my first Rage Against the Machine concert. I used to listen to them a lot growing up. Like the combination of, I guess, wokeness, the music, the lyrics. I've never seen them live. My brother probably has seen them live a bunch. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I'm so glad they're doing it. And it's an important time, right? Like the Supreme Court going the way it is and the geopolitical issues that are happening. I think their voice needs to be echoed more than ever. Dude, I'm excited. Evil Empire was one of the first CDs I bought growing up in Pakistan. I always thought if I was a professional wrestler or a professional boxer or a professional MMA fighter, Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine would be my walkout song. Yeah. And also, it's also um, RTJ, right? It's Rage Against the Machine with Run the Jewels, which would be pretty sick. Um, yes. And hopefully, yes. yes. I do, uh, I've done a fair amount of work with Run the Jewels, um, their lawyer, and he's a pretty cool guy. So I reached out to him. Hopefully, we can link up with him either before or after if he's there. That'll be fun, man. But they're doing like four or five shows at MSG. So I don't know if he's going to go to all of them. Yeah. Speaking of sort of shout outs, I got to do a shout out to Roy's Job Fair, the uh, Daily Show correspondent. Roy Woods has his own podcast, Roy's Job Fair. And they interviewed me actually in April, but they just released that August 2nd. Check it out. Roy's Job Fair. It's a great episode. They talk about infringement, the Bridgerton lawsuit, fair use, and I guess a pretty convenient time to have my interview because I'm a lawyer. Amazing. Making the rounds, Paul. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for you. Uh, thank you. So let's kick it off. Yeah, let's get into it. We have a couple sports stories to sort of start things off. Brittany Griner was sentenced to apparently nine and a half years. She was convicted of drug Oof. smuggling, I guess is what they call it. That was the charge. Yeah. And she was found guilty. She pled guilty, so I don't really know what the conviction meant. But she was sentenced to nine and a half years in a Russian penal colony, which is just incredibly sad. But actually, like I said, not surprising. We talked about this in episode 20, how this was likely the result. And it's unfortunate, but it just kind of reiterates the fact that Biden and his administration needs to do, you know, whatever they can, I guess, within reason to execute a prisoner swap now, right, to arrange that. It's like leverage, right? Like they, they probably, it's like, hey, they put their cards on the table now, and now something has to be done. Joe Biden actually said, and I quote, today, American citizen Brittany Griner received a prison sentence that is one more reminder of what the world already knew, Russia is wrongfully detaining Britney. It's unacceptable, and I call on Russia to release her immediately so that she can be with her wife, loved ones, friends, and teammates. So, I mean, they got to make this prison swap 
happen. I mean, I've got to imagine like it's now or never. I don't know if there's, I guess technically there's probably still another nine and a half years, Jesus, but yeah. um, the sooner the better. Ugh, that sucks. I, I don't think there's any way short of the Ukraine war ending that she was going to get out of this smoothly. Like I said, it's unfortunate, but not unexpected. So hopefully it all works out. Obviously her teammates and everyone in the WNBA is really crushed by this result. It is what it is. You're in a foreign country during a geopolitical nightmare. So during high tensions. So right. it's, it is very unfortunate. And so hopefully Biden administration can get something done. It's in the limelight, in the spotlight right now. So I don't know how long these things take, but I got to imagine it's not like next week it'll be done. Well, you know, if it weren't such a political like pawn situation for him, for Putin, that is, it may have already been resolved by now. But, you know, it's, it's complicated. But I'm confident the U.S. is working as quickly as they can to sort of make this happen. And then there's right. another story in the sports world, which we talked about, I believe it was episode 20, PGA Tour versus Live. For those who want to know, you can check out episode 20 for the sort of the factual pattern, the factual background on this. But quickly, the PGA Tour is the professional golf tour in the U.S. They organize all the events and, you know, award the prizes. The PGA Tour members are the owners of the tour. They're all independent contractors. They're not employees, which is notable because in this case, what the PGA Tour is doing is they're suspending any player who played in a competing tour, notably the Saudi Arabia-funded Live Tour. And so what happened this week, two stories, I guess. One, Greg Norman said that Liv initially offered Tiger Woods north of $700 million to join, which he declined. Freaking insane. Insane. 700. I mean, just for those that <laughs> keeping insane. track at home, his career earning, you know, Tiger Woods, arguably the greatest golfer of all time, won maybe $100 million in career winnings. And then he's made another $900 million to billion in endorsements. So this could have potentially taken him into the $2 billion net worth category if he had accepted it, but he didn't. Maybe he thought that this would be too damaging to his brand relationships. And legacy. And legacy, right, sure. His future earning potential. And Charles Barkley actually declined working with the Live for the same reason. I mean, good. I mean, if you have a billion dollars and you're Tiger Woods, do you really need another billion to like go to a startup golf tournament? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that moves the needle for someone. Well, like if you had zero money and you were offered a billion dollars, okay, that's one thing. You have a billion dollars and now you're offered a billion dollars. I think there's you know two different things. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I get it. I, I think at that level, people are sort of keeping score. You have your basic needs met, like beyond your wildest dreams, yep. multiple generations of your family are taken care of. So really at that point, all you could do is sort of squander it. But that being said, it is a way for people to sort of like, measure themselves against others in a status symbol. So maybe in his mind, he wants to yeah. get to 5 billion or 10 billion. I don't know what target he set for himself. Sure. But, you know, he can get there anyway, right? He's not even 50 yet. He yeah. can, you know, he's got an incredibly vast business empire and good for him for standing up for the PGA Tour. I mean, that's his decision. Another news story with the Live PGA update, which we also sort of teased that 11 former PGA Tour players who have been suspended have filed an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour, claiming that they're going to be irreparably harmed as a result of the PGA Tour's decision to suspend them for participating in live events. And it's notable, the timing is, you know, right now is about when we get to the sort of playoff season of the PGA Tour, the FedEx Cup, which is like a $15 million sort of prize. And that can have an impact on next year's tournaments as well. 
And so the players who have been suspended are saying, well, you're depriving me of the ability to earn a living playing golf. This is anti-competitive. Discussion of this is actually very interesting as to whether the PGA is behaving like a monopoly, whether it's within its rights. And this will play out. The DOJ has been investigating this for a couple of weeks now. And I'd love to do an episode on sort of antitrust law, how it works, how it works in the sports industry, what the exemptions are, what either side's argument would be. But as a very high level summary, generally speaking, the US economy and the, the legal structure is supposed to promote competition and therefore behavior that is anti-competitive that harms competition in theory hurts consumers. So if you, for example, like you should be able to if you're an independent contractor, supply your services to the highest bidder, right? In, in a free market economy, yep. if someone's willing to pay you 10% more or 20% more to play golf or to install an air conditioner or to you know, drive a car or whatever to perform surgery, you should be able to go work for that person or for that organization. And that's the essence of Phil Mickelson right. and their, their lawsuit is saying, hey, we should be able to play the events we want to play. And if we are penalized for playing events outside the U.S. or even events in the U.S. that are organized by a different league, that is fundamentally anti-competitive behavior on the part of the, of the PGA Tour. It's not like they have a contract with the PGA Tour that says you can't. It's not like, you know, the UFC, where if you're a fighter for the UFC, you can't go fight in other organizations. In order to be a PGA Tour member, you have to agree to the PGA Tour's policies and... You know, like if you use an iPhone, you have to, or iTunes, like you have to agree to the end user license agreement. You may not read it, but like you're accepting those terms right. using Facebook, TikTok. There's terms that are associated with that. So if you are a PGA Tour member and you violate their rules, you are subject to their jurisdiction, right? So if, if for example, um, you hit your ball into the water, you're penalized a stroke, right? So that's a rule. You have right. to abide by that if you're playing by PGA Tour events. And the PGA Tour is saying, well, we have this rule that if you play for a competing tour, we have the right to suspend you unless you get a conflict waiver from us. These players didn't get waivers. The PGA, they requested them. The PGA Tour denied them. And they went ahead and, and did it anyway. So the PGA Tour is saying, we're just enforcing our normal rules and we need to do this to protect our sport. And so it, it's really interesting because the court's going to have to decide if this goes that far, whether the PGA Tour's rules are you know, essentially impermissible violations of antitrust law. When do you think we'll know something like that? Like how long does that something like that take? Uh, it could take years. So the players are asking for a, a temporary restraining order, like an expedited case because they want to play in the FedEx Cup in the next couple of weeks. Right. They may get that. But generally speaking, antitrust cases can take a long time. Some of them can take a year, year and a half, two years. The Microsoft case and the AT&T cases, Ma Bell breakup, decades, right? So it can take a really long time. I suspect that this would probably be worked out outside of the legal process. Well, it's interesting because, you know, it's not like from what I've read, and there's a few articles on that, that the tournament, it's not doing that well, according, you know, the one that's being hosted in Miami at Trump's resort, Miami. Oh, the live tournament. Ticket sales apparently were, yeah, the live tournament. They were going for as low as a dollar on StubHub. The crowds were pretty thin. There are some protesters, protesters, you know, that represent 9-11 victims and their families were there because obviously there are issues with the Saudi government and, you know, they, they were there to protest everything. They were protesting against Trump as well with his support of, of Live. 
So it, it is, it's touchy. It's a touchy thing. Uh, there was some trolling by these TikTok people on there. There's a TikTok comedian that was trolling and, and saying things that were kind of inappropriate, but I mean, they made for good TikToks. And that's what I saw on TikTok. All I saw was like people protesting at live, people shouting out certain things against the players, you know, regarding Saudi Arabia and the Saudi government. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's still early days. Obviously, anything that starts has their issues. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, this isn't really a, a fair fight in the sense of like two competitive organizations that are in similar economic footing. The Live Tour doesn't have to make profit because it's funded by the Saudi right. Sovereign Wealth Fund and their resources are essentially you know, $100 billion, maybe even more, right? They they literally pump oil out of the ground and sell it for whatever it is, $100 a barrel. So they have essentially limitless resources. So whether anyone goes to live events or they ever get a TV deal, it doesn't they're still going to be able to fund this. At some point, don't you think they're going to be like, well, we're pumping all this money into it. No one's showing up. Is it? I mean, at some point, you you either make a decision, like, is this really worth all the money? Yeah, at some point, right. If you're behaving rationally. At some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, you're, are you behaving rationally when you're, you know, you're, uh, I mean, I don't, again, how much money they have. You're offering $700 million to Tiger Woods and you have $225 million in prize money over eight events. So clearly they have some serious deep pockets here. So it might not, it might be into like the few billions. Yeah. And they've offered players not no name. I mean, certainly not Tiger Woods level household names, but they've offered Phil Mickelson got 200 million. A lot of players have got 100 million. Right. And they're not like necessarily. Right. You know, they're taking, maybe they have this like uh, spreadsheet. It's like, okay, whatever you earned in your career times 10, we're going to pay you that as a signing bonus or times seven or time. It's like literally ludicrous numbers. Right. So, I mean, who knows what their yeah. end game is? Who knows? I mean, like it might be at the point where it's like after 5 billion, they'll start thinking about it, but clearly not right now. Right. All right, let's take a break and then we'll get back and we'll talk about Deshaun Watson. The Deshaun Watson saga has another development. Basically, for those that don't know who Deshaun Watson is, he is a 26-year-old, eminently talented, franchise-altering quarterback in the NFL. He was a college champion at Clemson. He was drafted by the Houston Texans. He played, I believe, three or four years there. He sat out last year because he was mired in some legal controversy, and also he wasn't happy with the direction of the franchise. But the long and short of it is he essentially has been accused and sued by 24 different women, massage service providers, masseuses, for engaging in Jeez. sort of sexually miscreant conduct, non-consensual touching, non-consensual insertion, uh, ejaculation without their consent. And apparently he had 66 masseuses over a 17-month period. So this yeah. guy's like got a problem. Um, clearly, like, yeah, there's seriously. something not wrong with him. I mean, apparently, prior to all any of these accusations surfacing, he was an upstanding member of the community, and he's, like, not expressed any remorse at all. He claims it was all consensual. He, th he says he's innocent. He doesn't deserve to be penalized at all. And, like, mm -hmm. who knows what's going on in this guy's head, but clearly where there's smoke, there's fire. However, there were 10 criminal complaints, and two Texas grand juries failed to indict. So... The grand juries didn't Ugh. think there was enough evidence that they could charge him with a crime. So despite all of this stuff, all of these accusations, all of these lawsuits, civil lawsuits, he has not been charged with a crime. In the sort of 
pendency of this, he got traded from the Texans to the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns guaranteed him a five-year, $230 million deal, fully guaranteed, and he's supposed to play quarterback for them You know, as soon as he clears the NFL's disciplinary process. That developed this week because the NFL disciplinary judge, Sue L. Robinson, suspended him for six games after concluding her investigation, her multi, the NFL's month-long or multi-month-long investigation into all this misconduct, the allegations. She apparently interviewed four of the accusers and concluded that even though he had showed no remorse and the actions are sort of egregious and reprehensible, it would be outside or in excess of the NFL's existing precedent to suspend him for more than six games. And so this just makes it look like the NFL doesn't care about women's rights. And so the NFL quickly had to respond and they're appealing that ruling and they're pushing for a more significant suspension. So that was announced, I believe Thursday, Roger Goodell is going to appeal that and Peter Harvey, former attorney general of the state of New Jersey is going to hear the appeal and what the NFL is pushing for an indefinite suspension. So probably at least a year, they want him to receive treatment and pay a fine of some kind. But you know, this is just a really sad story because you have this guy who's clearly got issues, sexual predator, whatever it is. I mean, I know he wasn't charged, so you know, innocent until proven guilty or whatever, but he's shown no remorse. It's like teams are kind of willing and actively overlooking the sort of black eye that this creates right. because he's so good at football and he can potentially alter the fortunes of a franchise and get them into the Super Bowl and perhaps win a Super Bowl. Like, that's how good of a quarterback he is. At some point, okay, if you sign a five-year contract, $230 million, and then, you know, obviously this stuff comes out and you're realizing this guy's a bad dude. We should drop him. This is not good for our brand and everything like that. And obviously, he, let's say he's charged. What happens with the contract? Can you just like drop him off that? Can you just be like, okay, you know what? We're dropping you and like we're not giving you the money. Or does that not work that way? So basically, he was under contract to the Texans and he had a no trade clause. And so there were a handful of teams probably, I mean, it's not really public how many teams were in the running for him, but several teams were competing to trade for him. He had the ability to approve his trade destination. And so the reason the Browns are ultimately his destination of choice is because they gave him a five-year fully guaranteed contract. Now, I haven't read the contract, but from everything that's being reported, he gets that $230 million regardless. Oh, man. Now, they must have done some diligence. They knew at the time that they signed him that two Texas grand juries had declined to indict him. So the cases are speculative, and he's no longer under within any criminal prosecution. It's just... You know, what does this mean for PR? And like, how do you like right. to female fans and your moms and sisters and daughters, like, how do you tell them that this like this is a role model or someone that you want right. to, you know, right. like support or pay five or six hundred dollars to take your family to go see him play? Right. Like that's Listen, that's the thing. Right. And the tension is he's good enough to win your team a Super Bowl, right? Or to have you in the conversation. That's how good of a player he is. And he was a champion in college. And so, like, his ability has never been questioned. It's just his sexual proclivities and the way he treats women and the fact that he has shown no remorse. Now, as of this week, 23 of those 24 lawsuits have settled. Right. Uh, and he hasn't, like right. I said, he hasn't been charged with any criminal activity. But 
it's a black eye for the league. Like, there's really no winners in this. Is there insurance for something like this? Like, hey, a player goes to jail for some felony or, you know, has some crime. Is there insurance where, like, if they go to jail, then the contract is void or there's insurance that helps pay for something like that? I've got to imagine they think of all scenarios. Most contracts are not fully guaranteed in the NFL. Deshaun Watson was the first person to get a right. fully guaranteed contract. Uh, okay, I see. Interesting. And that was probably more of a... It, that must have been how competitive it was. To get That's him. what it appears to be. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, the rumors are that there were a dozen teams that wanted to sign him. Wow, okay. Forbes released the franchise sports franchise valuations, and the NFL, I think the cheapest franchise is $3 billion value, Oof. or $2.8 billion is the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Cowboys are the most valuable sports franchise in the world at $7.5 billion. The Broncos just sold for $4.65 billion, so... The valuations are going up double digit, per, you know, in the teens of percent every oh, year. Man. Uh, because it's such a lucrative yeah. business model. But at some point, you know, the NFL has to protect its reputation. And hopefully they do. I mean, the whole thing is pretty unfortunate. And, you know, it sucks for especially all those women that try to come forward with that. And, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the fact that this guy has no remorse just is just like, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm assuming he's got a PR team that's probably telling him. Don't say anything unless he's just like, yeah, I'm not going to admit. Obviously, not going to admit anything. Yeah, open. you know the the thing is, it's yeah, he's it's one thing to show remorse without admitting something. You could say like, you know, I'm I feel bad that maybe his interpretation, he thought there was consent and there wasn't, or you know, he he realizes after the fact that he might have been too. He he's just saying he did nothing wrong. And before any of this stuff leaked. I thought he was a great guy. I mean, he was doing like Habitat for Humanity, completely self-made, like bought his mom a house, bought his family a house, a college champion. So it just goes to show that like, you know, we have to be careful who we make our role models, right? And, and make sure that they're vetted yeah. before we do that. All right, well, let's take a break and then we'll get back to our main, main topic, HBO Max and everything that's happening there. You know, I'm not trying to sound like a broken record. We did episode 11 when the Discovery Warner merger closed. We did say that they would yep. be looking to create a unified streaming app combining Discovery Plus yep. and HBO Max. And we also said that they were looking for $3 billion in cost savings and synergies yep. as a result of the merger and that Warner took on or Discovery took on a lot of debt. But we thought they got a good price because AT&T was more or less desperate to unload Warner Media, and I, in a million years, did not see them actually reducing the slate, dude, to the extent that they are. <laughs> I get it; you're cutting costs, but I thought the costs were yeah. going to be like back office marketing redundancies. It's crazy. Seventy percent of HBO Max development team is being cut, and that includes reportedly, 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 and that, according to these reports, include. You know, HBO Max originals, movies that are being streamed on the platform. Obviously, one of the biggest stories is that Batgirl, which was a, you know, a DC movie that was up and coming, $90 million production, already finished production, has been axed. The one that was going to have Michael Keaton in it. Now, that said, the earnings call that the CEO, David Zasloff, said, he said, basically, the decision to not release Batgirl reflects our leadership's strategic shift as it relates to the DC Universe and HBO Max. We're not going to launch a movie until it's ready. We're not going to launch a movie to make a quarter, and we're not going to put a movie out unless we believe in it. 
which is interesting because I was reading more on these reports and it was said that they tested Batgirl and it didn't test well. And I think this is maybe him saying that we want to do the DC universe the way Kevin Feige made the Marvel universe. We need to rethink this whole thing, this whole strategy. Now, he might just be saying that. I mean, who knows if they they've said that do like it, five times. But in the past ten decades. I know, but it's like, like we're gonna recreate what Marvel has. They had Christopher Nolan for like three movies. Like, come on. What <laughs> they had every opportunity to create a successful interconnected cinematic universe. They haven't executed that to this point. I think the crazy thing is that the movie's done. The movie's done. Just put it out. Almost, there. yeah. I mean, it was in post. It was like ninety-five percent, I don't know, almost wrapped up and they went over budget and it was like close to between ninety and a hundred million dollars that they'd spent. But now granted that's a sunk cost. And that doesn't include marketing. Right. So they maybe they were thinking we don't want to spend another forty million dollars marketing it, but they could have just put it on their own streaming platform. Just literally release it. People are gonna watch it. Just send an email blast. It it is it is <laughs> It's kind of mind blowing because it's just like Twitter was going nuts and they're like literally people on Twitter are like begging, please don't cancel my show. Someone was talking about now, granted, HBO originals are different from HBO shows. And I think HBO shows are Euphoria, Succession, etc. And HBO Max originals are shows like The Flight Attendant and Hacks, which Hacks just got renewed for a season three. Hacks might be hacked. It might be over for hacks. Who knows what happens with HBO Max? Obviously, they want one center, central streaming service. But this guy is basically, he went on the earnings call. I checked the stock. The stock price was down 16.5% after they reported earnings. Because they lost, what, three three and a half billion dollars in the quarter? Yeah, something like that. First quarter that they've been a combined entity, yeah. Listen, it's a tough economy. It is. That's also true. But here's the thing. I mean, David Zaslav is very savvy at business, right? He's run successful content empires. He built Discovery into a powerhouse by focusing on making low-cost, efficient-to-produce reality TV that has a fan base and doesn't cost you a fortune. Whereas HBO's strategy is like scripted, narrative, long-form things that are expensive. And sure, you might have a Game of Thrones, you might have a Succession, you might win a lot of Emmy nominations, but not every show is going to be a hit and it's expensive to produce the scripted stuff. So he's saying Succession, Euphoria, we're keeping those, right? Because, well, A, those are HBO shows, but B, they're successful. For now. now. And I think, you know, the interesting thing is like, if Batgirl had tested better, maybe they would at least release it on HBO Max. I mean, I don't know what the downside is. The one thing I'm reading is that if they had released it, then they couldn't take it as an immediate tax write-off. They would have had to sort of uh, take the production cost over like a 10 or 20 year lifespan of the movie. Whereas if they never release it at all and literally just throw it into the trash, they can take an immediate write-down, which may help their books in the next quarter. So that could be weighing in on it. But it's it does seem, I mean, almost unprecedented that you would have a movie that was in in the can and you essentially decide to shelve it. I think there were, and, and like, I didn't love Wonder Woman 1984. I wonder how much worse could this Dude, have been for them to like not release I it. I was literally just thinking that. I'm like, you released Wonder Woman 84, which I watched with my mom. She looked at me slowly at one point. She's like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. It, it was bad. I don't and know. I, I only know one person that was, liked it, but that person likes every movie. So, <laughs> but you know, it was... You make the movie, you have to release it in theory. So I think the tax write-off angle is one. And I think the fact that 
you know, they didn't want to spend money on marketing is another. And clearly, you know, Zaslav's not worried about sunk costs, right? Like shutting down CNN Plus within the first month of launch, that's a $300 right. million dollar investment. And there's a couple other shows that he's announced or that have been sort of, you know, the rumor mill is that they're going to get canceled. And I don't know that I, you know, Scoob, Holiday Hunt, Raised by Wolves, Made for Love, The Wonder <laughs> Twins. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then there were other movies on HBO Max that are sort of being removed from yes. the platform, like Max Originals and other films they've acquired, Charm City Kings. There was a remake of House Party from LeBron's company that that just got scrubbed That's from the release. That's what I have here too. <laughs> so The first, it's so funny, I'm, I'm looking through the list and I'm like, okay, I get it. First season of Vinyl, which aired in 2016, which I actually, I liked Vinyl. I don't know if you remember Vinyl. It's about the record label back in like the day. I forget the guy's name, but he, he's fantastic in it. And I was like, okay, fine. You're cutting kind of random, you know, low-hanging fruit. Moonshot, Super Intelligence with Melissa McCartney, The Witches with Anne Hathaway, Seth Rogen's An American Pickle, Lockdown with Anne Hathaway. I don't know if he's got something against Anne Hathaway, but he's just like, boom, 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 cut, cut. No, I mean, listen, sometimes you have to make difficult decisions, right? Like, you know, it's not yeah. easy to be the boss and to cut costs. But that being said, the thought that he's going to basically keep Discovery Plus with a couple HBO Warner shows and movies every once in a while, but otherwise like HBO Max as we know it today is going to be dismantled. That's a little alarming to me. It's crazy because we've talked about this. I mean, like I I love HBO Max. I mean, I finally got used to the idea. I'm like, well, HBO Max, HBO, I use the streaming service all the time. And now this guy comes in and look, for all we know, this guy might be a creative genius. Or at least a business, you know, like he's a good business executive. Whether or not creatively, I mean, that's not what Discovery, they don't make content for like Emmys, right? They make content for fans that is cost effective. And that's what he wants to do. Right. But interestingly, right, HBO Max has close to 70, 80 million global subscribers. Discovery Plus has about a little less than 25 million global subscribers. And Discovery Plus is going to win out in this. That's going to be the surviving platform. Right. And right. HBO, whatever remains, is going to be folded into that. And it, yes, he's got it a very aggressive, you, you have to be aggressive to rein in costs, but deciding not to release content that's been made, maybe there's a tax justification that's, for that. But I like HBO Max too. I mean, yeah, maybe it has some superfluous content, but it's still a good product. And fans like it's it. It's a great product. Yeah. I mean, look, Maybe Batgirl was just so bad that he's like, we just don't need another bad DC movie to come out. Now, granted, most DC movies, in my personal opinion, are not the greatest in terms of the DC universe. So look, maybe five times a charm, six times a charm, where they say they're going to create what Kevin Feige's done with the DC universe, maybe he's going to do it. Or maybe he doesn't really care and he's just saying that so he can just cut all this stuff out. All I care about, Euphoria and Succession, and the Game of Thrones prequel, I need those. Please release them when they come out. Hopefully that doesn't get affected. Well, here's the thing. Like, you can't only make hits, right? Like, not every show is going to be a winner, but in order to have three or four amazing shows, like, it's a numbers game. Maybe you have to invest in 10 or 15 or 20 pilots that aren't hits. And so if he's fundamentally right. not willing to make those investments because he doesn't think they're going to bear fruit in the long run, then that, I think, could be detrimental to the sort of like creative value of HBO Max going forward. But absolutely. I mean, he's got a point. They've got to rein in costs. He's got a model that works. It's hard to argue with his model. 
But it's just a shame right. for the people who like the stories and for the people who work at HBO Max. But Hollywood ain't always fun and games, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and to conclude, everyone is cutting costs. I mean, a lot of media companies are cutting costs, but a lot of tech companies, everyone is cutting staff by 20, 30%, like Shopify, hiring freezes at Google, at Facebook. I mean, we're in wartime right now. It's like wartime CEOs, as they say. Like They need to make sure that they're able to just keep things going, make sure they're not losing a ton of money, make sure that they're able to sustain whatever's happening in the world right now. And so maybe this guy's just making the hard decisions that other people weren't able to make. And maybe three, four years from now, he's going to come out on top. And Batgirl 2.0 is going to be the sickest thing we've ever seen. Maybe. It's just hard to justify spending $100 million on something and not even putting I it on know. your own platform. But to your point, the whole tax write-off thing makes sense. Like Maybe that he was just like, we need to find all these areas where we can offset costs, off offset taxes. And it is consistent. That That is consistent with his... His view and his strategy is like, we're going to spend big budgets on theatrical movies. If we're going to make movies for streaming, they have to be under $35 million. The question I have, does this become like a Snyder Cut thing where the fans are just like, Batgirl, 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 and like a year or two from now, they release it? I don't know. I mean, I think if they're going to pursue this tax write-off, they have to like literally, they can't use it. Man. That's, can you imagine a movie that is done that we'll never be able to get to see? I mean, I guess that happens all the time. It, it happens. It happens not at this level of spend, but it happens. And you know what? Like when, when I'm representing platforms, we put this in all of our forms with talent, right? Like we don't always, sometimes it's negotiated, but generally speaking, our obligation as a studio is to pay you your guaranteed or your fixed comp, we don't have to release anything, right? right? If at the end of the creative process, right, we don't like right. it, we can shelve it. That's our discretion. I mean, like I said, sometimes that's a negotiated provision, but generally speaking, you build that in the flexibility to do that. It's just not something you would often use on something that costs $100 million. Yeah, agreed. Maybe it's so bad that it's good. It's one of those movies. It just ends up becoming a cult classic, but we'll never know. And look, we'll follow the story. We'll see what happens. I'm sure there's going to be more and more talks around what, what happens with HBO Max. Great show, Paul. I will say this. Next time we talk, we will have our report on Rage Against the Machine, Madison Square Garden, you and me. Let's go get some steaks, some wine. Then let's go hit up Rage Against the Machine. Let's get pumped up. We should record the podcast right after the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't do a big dinner before a concert, but I'll definitely, you know, like I'll have a glass of wine or something. I'm, <laughs> I'd be asleep at 10 if I had a big dinner. But we'll be ready to rage. That's for sure. That's right. No pun intended or pun very much intended. Better Call Paul, where every episode we make gets released or does it. Yeah, that, this is true. That's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram at Better Call Paul, the podcast. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Take care, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>